Hello, remember us? <laughs> the Silmarillion Film Project. It's Here been we a while. Are. Yes, it has. Did you think that we had just like folded and given up because of Rings of Power um, swamped uh, the Tolkien um, fandom? Well, not to worry because uh, you're in for like a three-year gap until the next season. This is we are the... here to we're here to fill it. This is the Tolkien adaptation that was here years the... before it began, and will be here still going years after they finish. That's right. <laughs> it's going to keep plugging along. We'll That's never it. go away or take a three-year <laughs> break for production because. <laughs> We're not making a real show. <laughs> That's it. Our production is continuously not happening. <laughs> That's right. Says you. <laughs> it's all happening up here, man. It's all That's happening it. up here. That's it. We do have, uh, we do, we, you know, of course, it's been impossible uh, to spend so much time as I have in a real, uh, a, a real TV studio and not think thoughts <laughs> like i have to confess <laughs> i have had film film related thoughts while i have been in the studio um so uh the next thing we'll probably do is start passing the can around uh to start um you know i i think if we all put our pe- pocket change together we could purchase the rights to the silmarillion and then off we'd go um Four hundred, five hundred million dollars. What's that between? <laughs> it's, it's all it should take, people. So, um, um, yes. Or we could have purchased the entire uh, IP from Saul Zantz for about the same amount of money, alternatively. But anyway, since we're talking about modest goals, uh, good evening. Hey, so cool. I see. Uh, Bjarne Sonner has caught up with Film Film this month. So there we go. Excellent. That's Welcome. see that the 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 gap is useful uh for uh for catching up purposes. Though it does mean Bjarne Sonner that you're going to have to um wait longer in between episodes from now. It is the hard thing when people binge to catch up and then they catch up and it's like, "Oh wait, right. Okay. Yeah. Two week gap." You but left um yourself a backlog Absolutely. But anyhow, this is uh, it is so good to be back uh, tonight. We and we're back with a bang, too. I mean, we're back here tonight with talking about the outline for episode four, which is the Baron and Luthien bottle episode. Tenuviel, Tenuviel is happening tonight. That's what we're going to discuss. How do we handle it? So we're going to, you know, no big deal. We're just coming back to like what is possibly like the cornerstone scene of all of Tolkien's fictional create creativity, right? I mean, like the the foundation of all of Middle Earth, right here. Um, uh, so there we go. Uh, that'll yeah, be this will be a fun a, thing to talk about. Let's have a let's have an um, elf human romance uh, where the human doesn't completely unsurprisingly turn out to be Sauron. <laughs> I, I was, um, yes. Words hurt, Dave. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, more, more, more effectively done human, uh, elf romance. Yeah. We're going back. We're going back to the, to, to the start here. To the so- start. Yep. To the source. 
All right. Well, before we uh, g- continue any further, a couple quick announcements. First of all, it, this week has begun Signum's annual fundraising campaign, our fall fundraising campaign, which we pushed back a little bit because things were a little hectic, and I wanted to make sure things were a little clearer for us to be celebrating uh, Signum University, what's been happening in this past year, what's coming up, and of course, celebrating our wonderful supporters uh, who have done such amazing things. Your generosity this past year has been overwhelming. We set enormous records this past year uh, in uh, giving to support Signum University. Our annual fund was awesome this past year and has really helped some tremendous growth for Signum. Um, I'll be talking more about that and and other stuff at our webathon. I'll be doing my State of the University address uh, during the webathon on Saturday, November nineteenth, where I'll be talking about some giving some detailed reports on the year that happened um, and talking about the new plans to come, including things like um, our Signum University Press and Signum Studios. So um, that's some of our major new focus areas at Signum uh, for this coming year. Really excited uh, about those things. So, um, uh, and of course, the uh, my annual Lotro Marathon, which I've been doing for like 10 or 12 years now, uh, is going to be happening on Saturday, November 12th uh, there as well. Um, in addition, upcoming moots, one upcoming very soon indeed. SoCal moot is happening the day after tomorrow uh, in Carlsbad, California. So um, I'll, I'll be out in your general area there, Dave, for uh, 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 down in SoCal. Um for our moot uh, this coming weekend. Going to be great fun. Looking forward to that. Never been to Carlsbad before. Uh, flying into San Diego. Looking forward to uh, connecting with folks. A lot of people coming to that one. Really excited to uh, to see people. And then, of course, the next one after that is our big first ever Southern Hemisphere moot, Ozmoot in Australia at the end of January. So um, can't wait for that. Um, so those are some immediate things coming up uh, that I want everybody to be aware of. And I do want to just ask people to consider making a, a donation to Signum University uh, if you never have before. Um, uh, we really appreciate the folks. There are a lot of people who give annually, who give uh, uh, on a, a monthly subscription basis. Uh, you can do either one of those things. Uh, and of course, all donations to Signum University are totally tax deductible. So um, I hope that you will consider supporting Signum uh, and all of the stuff that we do and that we make possible at Signum University. Now, I love how Maria is like, okay, I'm not even giving you the whole map to stare at uh, at the beginning of today's episode. I'm just, we're, this is there's only one thing that matters in this episode. Uh, this is the is this like the bottle map, uh, <laughs> basically, right uh, for the exactly. for our bottle episode? Yeah, okay, exactly. All right, here's our bottle map. Um, all that matters is Doriath. Um, because in, so we're going to be discussing episode four. Now, episode four is not drafted yet. We have the outline of it, but we don't have the, uh, we don't have the draft of it yet. Um, but that's okay. We've got a bunch of things to kind of talk through and, and, and work through here. Um, and let's, um, just kind of acknowledge from the beginning, the challenge here on the one hand, Episode four, like the meeting of Baron and Luthien, on the one hand, as I say, I mean, it's like the iconic moment, uh, perhaps in Tolkien's entire imagination. This is a huge, huge deal. But it's also going to, it would be a really, really tricky scene 
to depict um, the way that Tolkien described it. I mean, we've talked about this before, and I just I think it just bears acknowledging at the very beginning of this discussion. Um, if we just if one were just to kind of casually put up on screen what Tolkien describes the way he describes it, it could go very badly um, because it the whole like mortal man peeping at dancing fairy woman through the bushes and then pouncing out after her and chasing trying to chase her down um, with <laughs> uncertain intent, right? I mean, at the very least, the optics not necessarily great on that one. Like it's, it's it has to be done carefully. And so, one of the things that I think is it's really important to me. One of the, the the major issues here is to kind of think through what is that? What is the essence of that story? What did that story communicate? What was trying Tolkien trying to communicate through that story? And how can we capture that? Marie, go ahead. Yeah, because I. I agree with you that the optics are a little tricky and yeah. part of it is obviously this is autobiographical for him. Yes. This is recalling a moment where he spent with his wife while she was dancing in the woods. Right. And he knew who she was right. in that memory. She was not a complete stranger. Right. It wasn't right, random he... girl dancing in the woods. <laughs> that was... he pounced out of the bushes at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wife. So the fact that he shared this special moment with her, and it, you know, stuck in his memory as a beautiful representation of their love. That's great. And I'm really happy for him. But they knew one another. <laughs> exactly. It's the difference between you don't take a long walk on the beach on a first date with someone. Because then you're just kind of like awkwardly like, uh, what? Like, who are you? And what are we talking about? Like, it, it just it's not a romantic thing to do with someone you just met it's better for when you know someone and you want to spend time with them and you get to take this quiet moment together and like savor their company yeah so i right. kind of feel like that's the disconnect between his memory and his um appreciation of that moment versus mm -hmm. what would be actually happening with baron and luthien as characters in this moment so right our first attempt at mitigation is to have Luthien well aware of Baron's presence. Right. Right. That she knows he's there. And the viewer knows that she knows he's there. So that right. even though we're seeing this scene in this episode from his point of view, so he's seeing her for the first time and this is all new for him, we're aware that he's not like sneaking up on this girl. Yeah. That we removed any question of that from the audience's mind well we, we removed some of the optics of that from the audience's right. mind um right. as, as a starting point and our goal throughout this episode is to have the two of them connect on a real level so that by the end of the episode the audience will believe like, these are two people who know one another who love and care about one another that want to be together for reasons other than wow she's really pretty um right. you know like the, 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 we're trying to forge a connection between these two characters so that the audience can believe that their moments spent in doriath together were a real relationship and not just whatever it might appear on the surface right and that's another of course wonderful example of a challenge of 
translation, right, from the written story we have to a visual adaptation uh, in this kind of medium, right? Um, On the one hand, Tolkien left space within the story for the idea that they got to know each other and spent some time together there in the forest uh, before they get to Doriath. It's not merely, he's not merely trying to play on some kind of mythic concept of love at first sight, right? Where like they're bound together now, their fates have bound them together. I mean, that's true. He does say that, right? But um, but it's not just that they've seen each other once and then they go before Thingol and are separated and, you know, everything else is just like everything, all the contact between them and their, you know, uh, the, everything else that happens merely is premised upon some sense of destiny that they had when they looked into each other's eyes. He doesn't do that. He does leave space for them to spend some time together there in the forest and get to know each other at the beginning. But he spends no time describing it, right? Again, if we were to be exactly faithful in the sense of, like, we spend as much proportional time, right, on the show, on that part of the of the thing as he spent in the, sto- in the, in the book, what would we get? Like a... Uh, uh, very little, right? It would be hard to get a viewer to really believe that there was substance to their relationship, right? Um, But... Come on, haven't you ever seen Snow White? They met each other like (laughs) once for like 45 seconds. It's fine. (laughs) That's the alternative, yes. It's not 1937. Well, there's that too. There's that too. But no, I mean that's that's exactly the kind of mythic appeal to that sort of thing that I'm talking about, right? That's a, it's exactly that kind of appeal that Snow White is making, and that I think would be challenging, uh, not impossible, but challenging to make. And which Tolkien, as I say, is not necessarily exclusively making, even within the context of the story. But of course, wait. The, but there's another element when we come back to the meeting thing, right? Um, Tolkien has they're they're kind of. T- two, at least two elements that are coming together in the Baron and Luthien meeting scene. One, of course, is, Marie, as you were mentioning, the autobiographical, the very famous autobiographical element, right, that um, uh, that day which uh, clearly stuck so uh, uh, forcibly in Tolkien's memory and imagination um, with his wife Edith. Um, of course, which... So powerfully that, of course, as everybody knows, right, that's what's on their tombstones, right? Baron and Luthien are on their tombstones. His identification of her with Luthien went to the point of him putting that on her gravestone when she died. Baron was put on there for him by his children in recognition of the choice that he had already made, uh, right, for to put Luthien, um, uh, uh, you know, over her grave uh, because she predeceased him. So um, anyway, so so there's that. But there's more than that, too, right? At the same time, he is also invoking a very powerful fairy tale tradition, right? A fairy story tradition of mortals, especially mortal men, who wander into fairy, and when they wander into fairy, cross the border into fairy, and when they do, they encounter like an elf queen dancing. For instance, we see another example of this in Smith of Wooten Major, um, where Smith, who is wandering as a mortal in fairy, sees the dancing ring of fairy damsels and the fairy, uh, well, whom he doesn't realize is the fairy queen uh, leading the dance. Um, 
that kind of thing happens a lot in fairy stories, and it almost never ends well for the human. It's like a cautionary tale most of the time. If you, as the mortal, burst, if you see the the like indescribably beautiful fairy lady dancing in the woods um and you jump out she is a guaranteed to vanish i mean like that's a given but the question is like what hideous thing is going to happen to you as a consequence you could find yourself asleep for a hundred years right you could find yourself turned into a beast right there's all kinds of things that can happen to mortals who do this kind of thing right so he is setting up with the baron and luthien story he sets up this sort of typical fairy tale scenario right um which is familiar to many people but then he turns it right and the turn, the really remarkable turn. And then here, Marie, this is where, like, the autobiography comes uh, relevant again, right? Um, the miracle is when Luthien turns and lays her hand in his. He does burst out of the bushes. He does chase after her. Um, and she turns and welcomes him. She turns and lays her hand in his. And her choice, and that's like never, that never happens. Like the, the, the fact that the, the fairy princess reciprocates his, that he's attracted to her is like, he has no choice. I mean, like, seriously, what is he going to be like? Nah, I'm good. Like, I mean, seriously, like he, that he is smitten by her is, is, uh, you know, again, like that's. Does anybody do that when they meet Luthien in the book? No, no, nobody fails to fall in love with Luthien when they meet her. At least um, on some level. Right. Exactly. Um, but um, anyhow, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's. That's normal. <laughs> it just proves that he has a pulse. But uh, but when she turns and falls in love with him, when she turns and answers him, when he calls to her and she answers him, um, and doom falls on Tenuvio at that point, that's where everything changes, right? That's where Tolkien's version of this fairy tale becomes really fascinating and completely unique, you know, within this sort of tradition. Um so it's a big deal. Like it's a big and and then and, and especially again then when you add again that autobiographical freight uh that hangs on this on this scene it's a really big deal. Um so yeah, so the trick is how do we capture this because the scene which could look again the optics can be really bad, which could look positively creepy, right to have him be all like peeping tomish in the bushes and then have him leap out all like sexual predator like and like I mean, seriously like there's all kinds of creepy that this could look if not done carefully, and the irony is there's a kind i think anyway there's a kind of there's something almost like innocence to the story as it's actually told. I, 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 there's an element of that there, which is like an extra challenge to try to capture. Do you think? I, do, do you agree with that, Marie? That that that, that the sense of innocence in that? Yes, um, because the story seems to clearly be written by someone who did not, for a second, imagine that Baron was a sexual predator. Hiding <laughs> right, <in the> right, <laughs> right. Yes. Like, it's, that's not even on the radar. Yeah. And I, Those I, optics I were not visible to Tolkien when he was right. watching it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's beautiful that that wasn't even thought of. But also what you were saying earlier about the typical consequence of man who stumbles into fairy and meets beautiful woman. 
Yeah, the person who's in danger in this sequence isn't <laughs> Luthien. No. no. There's it's zero harm that's going to come to Luthien no. in anything that happens here. Baron's the one who, mm-hmm. should he make a misstep, will find himself ensnared yes. in fairy, in right. Boreath, in yeah. Luthien's spell, etc. So I do think that we can play on that to kind of overturn the if we're going to imply that anyone's in danger we don't have to make it look like some scary guy is chasing Luthien through the woods because right. Luthien's not scared well, <laughs> at she, all yeah there's no need for her to be scared no I agree I right. think that that's and, and but tr- trying to balance I, it out I, and I, yeah. I think that yeah. um, we're going to show the meeting from Baron's point of view right so yeah. he first wakes up and is like, where am I? And what has happened? I'm, mm-hmm. you know, apparently not half starved and dying like I was last time I was conscious. <laughs> right. Um, so right. he's kind of waking up of like, things seem okay now. And I'm in a beautiful glade in the woods and there's like sunlight and dappled whatever. You know, just like, it's one of those mystical things. And, you know, he hears music and he hears a voice singing and he just goes to investigate. So I think we can show like the wonder and curiosity that draws him towards where Luthien is without it being creeper in the bushes. Right. Because we're going to be following him. He's not going to like hang out and peer at her. He's, he's exploring his surroundings and stumbles upon Luthien. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to note that we, we have already set this up. um, Right. With Thingol and Melian. And in that situation also the person in danger was Thingol. Yeah, not Melian, absolutely, absolutely. Right? He was transfixed for centuries. You know, yes. <laughs> like he lost time off his life. He lost people. He lost his brother. Like the there's a whole um. There are consequences to yes. what happened to Thingol, and there are consequences that are what to what happens with Baron here too. Yes, we just haven't gotten to them yet. Right, exactly. But I do think re- pre- preserving some of that sense, uh, I think it would be important to try to preserve that sense of, well, I I don't know if danger, like if we necessarily have to make people, not danger in the sense of having, it's not like we're trying to make viewers be like, oh no, is Baron going to die? But like to have that sense of something, if, if there were a way to for us to capture something of that element of mortal transgressing and fairy and you just don't know what's going to I mean he there's an irony here right because he was setting out to come here so he's reached his destination on the one hand but at the other hand he's I think he's got to realize when he wakes up that this is no place for him he is not supposed to be here like he's a transgressor here he's crossed the boundaries and he could be killed but being killed it's not about again it's not about physical danger it's not about like oh my goodness my life is in danger and i might get shot or something right i mean it's about well i mean at the end of the day what i'm talking about is trying to capture some of that fairy element right some of that mystery um uh, that sense of like not just i shouldn't be here and that they might kill me if they find me um for trespassing um it's not like trespassing on farmer maggot's land right or he might sick his dogs on you that's not the kind of fear that he has it's that sense of this is not a place for mortals right yeah. uh, 
like how this world works is not how the world that Baron came from worked. Mm. So yeah. like what could happen to him, it's more like the Nan Elmoth stuff of the yeah. woods are out to get you. Yes. And yeah. the woods are not going to behave the way you think woods should behave. So like trees right. can just move and right. things that were just there are gone. And didn't I just go in a circle? Like that whole thing yeah. of, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. He should feel like an outsider and a stranger in that mm-hmm. way throughout yes. the sequence. Yeah. And we do have him experience a few things that are meant to be fairy, um, including yeah. uh, when Diaron catches up with them. We, yes. we right. had him just have that Spellbinder. darkness yeah it, like he's just yeah out of it for that sequence right. he's not part of the scene and Steven, it's like all this yeah. again <laughs> Stephen brings up the the dwarves in uh murkwood yeah you know running in it, yeah. you know running into the um the uh the feasting of the elves which by the way um by happy accident i wound up reading the hobbit to my four-year-old daughter and she is absolutely transfixed we are awesome. we're I'll, I'll tell you more about it some other time but she like we're in we're in Erebor right now and nice. yeah anyway so um but the the real danger the Baron is in is Luthien like turning him back into the girdle and him just wandering in the girdle forever Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like that's a real possibility in this sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. And she would be well within her rights to do so. And you kind of get the feeling that that's what Dairon would kind of like her to do. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's the prudent thing to do in almost any, you know, all other personal motivations aside. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mortals aren't supposed to enter Doria. They ne- well. Okay, dwarves are allowed in, but humans are not supposed to enter Doria. Right. He's the first one to cross this boundary. And of course, it's also got to be a big deal uh, that they can tell he has crossed through the girdle of his own. Like, he just, nobody does that. No one's ever done that. What does this mean? Right? Um, Who is this guy who could get through the girdle of Melian without... Like, I mean, being stopped or killed or trapped or whatever. Yeah, I think that's Luthien's initial interest. She's just mm-hmm. curious, who is this person? Right, right. And that curiosity eventually leads her to get to know him, and then she has feelings. But the the initial reaction is, who is this guy? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And you can see how she and Diron would both have very different kinds of responses to that, right? She being more curious, right? Um, I can see essentially both of them might be able to say the same sentence, right? Something like, who is this guy that he could come through the girdle? Um, But they would say it in very different tones and with very different intentions, right? Um, Dairon thinking like, I mean, is is, is he some... Is this some dark force of evil in disguise or something? Or is, you know, like what what could have the power um, to come through? Certainly no mortal has the power to come through the girdle unassisted. Um, did he get some assistance? And if so, for what purpose? Like, I mean, there's got to be like, seriously, it's like a, the perfectly rational response to say there has to be some 
sinister explanation for how this dude got through the girdle of Melian. Whereas Luthien would, I think, very plausibly have a very different reaction, be curious or perceiving being her mother's daughter, perceiving that there is some greater destiny at work here and wanting to find out what it is. Um, but yeah, it's, um, so yeah, for her to be intrigued, not just because, you know, of like personality differences with Dairon, but again, some kind of, some kind of perception, some kind of perception. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it's a, it's, but especially now we're going to be mostly from Baron's point of view, right? So we're not going to be getting the full description of what this looks like from Dairon or from Luthien's perspective. Not at first, yeah. Okay, but we will eventually. So, um, because this is a bottle episode, all the scenes take place within Doria, um, and the main storyline is Baron's viewpoint of his exploration of Doriath, meeting Luthien, right. all of that. But the B plot is essentially Baron, sorry, uh, Luthien and Dairon mm-hmm. interacting with each other in response to him. So that's where we pull out of the fairy realm element. Right. And just have just normal things here. <laughs> like right. They're they're in their home. This is where they live. So nothing right. weird and fairy is going on in those scenes. So that'll differentiate right. Baron's experience from from that, right. and that'll allow Luthien and Dairon to discuss their reactions and what they think. Um, yeah. And then we, all, I guess, we also have another side plot of Thingol and Melian. Thingol and Melian, yeah, exactly. Discussing what Thingol's view of the world is before this mortal stumbles into his court. Right. Right. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's look at some of the, some of the details here. All right. How long do we have with Baron in the woods before he meets Luthien? What are we envisioning here? Not long. Not long. Yeah, he wakes up, and that leads into him meeting her. Okay, so Keep he's going to. We're... Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. We're on the heels of episode three, which spent a lot of time with Baron getting through Nendungertheb and getting through the girdle itself. So, right, right. like we're there. Baron collapsing into the undergrowth, <laughs> unconscious, is where we ended episode three. Right. We actually ended episode three with. Luthien finding him unconscious uh, to give right, right mm-hmm. to make sure that the audience knows that she knows, she knows. he's there. Yeah, right. Yeah. So right. we've preemptively removed the whole he's watching her without her knowing he's watching her dynamic. Yes. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. He may have thought he was watching her, unbeknownst to her, but right, he was wrong. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So. She, he doesn't know that she knows that. Right. Gotcha. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. No, and I think that's, that is smart. That's a nice preemptive move against the optics, the potential creepy optics uh, of the scene for sure. Um, So yes. Okay. So he wakes up. What I'm trying to figure the reason I'm asking about the time before he meets her is I'm trying to get 
what, if any, sense of that um, that sense of fairy, right? That mm-hmm. that um, you know, he's not just in a rather nice forest. Yeah. Right. I mean, it has there. I mean, so he will have had the experience, but also, I mean, he was near the end of his tether when he was having the experience of passing through the girdle. Right. Mm. So he's going to wake up and he's going to feel much better than when he dropped unconscious. And he's going to be looking around uh, at these woods and there have to be things that he's. How do we convey that sense of fairy? So there's a few things. Um, One is that the music is both inside and outside his head. Right. Music. I was going to say, this sounds like the time we need to pick up the red Philip Menzies phone here uh, to help us solve this problem. Right. Yes. Um, (laughs) But he is to a significant degree healed of his hurts. Right. Um, and when he does find her, she basically disappears. Like she runs off, but okay. makes it happen preternaturally fat. What is apparently preternaturally quickly. Sure. Because she, in fact, slowed him down in right. time. Right. 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 Um, okay. So his first, so his first sort of confusion will come from the fact that he's healed. Right, and so he'll be confused. He'll be healed and confused that he's healed. Um, doesn't know what has happened to him. Um, I like the idea. So the musical thing, the, the the thing, of course, that I think is we could do a really fun thing with here is the play on um, diegetic music. Right, that is the theme is playing, but we don't realize that he can hear it within. Yes the world of the show right away. Yes. Right. Um, so this sort of haunting piping music uh, can be the, and then we eventually realize that he can hear that too. Right. Um, mm. Is this is, I think is a, a, this is a clear uh, moment where we can play with the, the boundaries between, you know, the theme music that is setting the state, setting the mood for the audience and the, the music that he himself is hearing and is kind of setting the mood for him. Um, so that I think is, is a, creates a pretty fun opportunity to establish that, that kind of mood. Um, and his, his reactions would show both wonder and perhaps a kind of dread. Um, I would think it would be fun if there were a, it's like his, first reactions should be something along the lines of there should be a disjunction is what I'm trying to get at between how he's acting and what the visual circumstance the visuals are going to be beautiful right beautiful forest right I mean it's not going to look like dark and creepy it's not going to look like Nanelmoth right it's you know which was creepy scary dark forest um I know. I feel like his reactions should almost be like the reactions of someone who is hearing ominous, creepy theme music. Right? He's looking around. He, he, he's not sure what is going on, what is around him, whether he's in danger. Um, and what's his and what's his state of mind after everything mm. he's been through, too? Right. 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 So one thing we need to do with Baron is 
heal him in this episode right and the physical healing happens within the first scene like he wakes up all better right like right his cuts and his gauntness are more or less dealt with but the mental healing mm. obviously takes a little longer you know his dad just died everyone he knows just died he just went through a pretty harrowing experience he's had a rough go of it and <clears throat> that doesn't just shrug off right and so like, and even even apart from i agree the very important like psychological and emotional scars that he has he has no reason to think that his tough go is over I mean, yeah, he's not yeah. going to wake up and so be like, ah, oh, that I've he now... isn't in yeah. fact dead, as Stephen suggests. <laughs> right. right. So right. He's, he's still in that survival mode and expecting there to be dangers yeah. around him. Of, so he shouldn't, yeah. he should not be relaxed in the right. scene. Like, he this comes is across not... Dyron and he's like, is this heaven? And Dyron says, no, this is Iowa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but he, he shouldn't be feeling. Like I made it, everything's great now. Like he's he's not Frodo and Rivendell waking up yeah. from his ordeal. Right, exactly. There's also um, there's a an effect that they do in one of the Star Trek Next Generation films, um, Insurrection, one of the one of the less great ones. Um, but uh, they go down to this planet, and there's these people there that have they're basically elves. They're they're basically Tolkienian elves, essentially. <laughs> Right, they live functionally forever. Scene. Okay, they it, like they. He, the lady shows Picard this uh, intricately woven tapestry and says, "Oh no, that's the work of an apprentice." Like, you know, right. maybe in a couple hundred years he might, you know, graduate to do work on his own. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but there's a she's trying to show him how they do that. Um, by getting him to hold on to a single moment and like there's like you see water dripping off of a leaf and in, in like very very high resolution and it happens very slowly and mm-hmm. having stuff like that happen um, while he like while he's moving through the forest things just acting differently right. than yes he would expect general physics works a little bit differently here. And maybe we wouldn't, we can't as viewers tell the different necessarily discern whether or not physics is actually changing or whether his perceptions are just being messed with. Right. 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 And, and so, yeah, so I think there should be enough that's weird and off when we're in the barren point of view scenes and then everything's totally normal in the Luthien and Dyron yes. scenes. And so that'll be obvious that his experience is different. Right. Um, and it's going to take a while to get to the point where he does relax and he does mm-hmm. let his guard down and he does laugh and he does agree right. to dance with Luthien. Tra-la-la-la-la like, up at a bat. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Eventually we're getting to tra-la-la-la-la and fall in love and all of that. Yeah. But his first reaction while there's quite a bit of wonder, he's not happy. Yeah. yeah. There, there's yeah. nothing that is joyful about his initial right. reactions. Right. He would not be like, I mean, he. it's not like he would be ignoring the fact that what is before him is beautiful. Like the forest right. is beautiful. And, and, and there would be some awe involved in that, I think. But, but also dread fear, concern, doubt of himself and his own sanity. He certainly... But, okay, so now, in that state that we were just describing, 
he realizes there comes the moment that he realizes that he was hearing actual piping, right? Mm-hmm. That it is in fact <laughs> diegetic music, um, and he sees Luthien dancing in the distance. Um, what's what's going on in his mind here? How does this how does this strike him? I mean. It's Luthien. She's the most beautiful woman in the history of the world. Like, on the one hand, it's an it's an it's a simple question, but like that he's attracted to her. Okay, like yes, like she's she yes, but that doesn't. It's not a complete answer to the question, right? So I I have the way that I have always interpreted, like when the way I've always imagined him in that scene when he first comes upon her, is that there's at first this moment of if I just kind of stay back here, mm-hmm. like I can kind of preserve this most beautiful image I've ever seen in my entire life. Like me even saying something or speaking up, like, yes, it could from certain perspectives be kind of creepy that he just sits there and watches her without announcing himself. But he's got to know that when he announces himself, that scene's going to change. And it's Breaks not going to be as good as it was a second ago. Right? Um, and there's now. also – there's a – again, like even going back to the fairy story tradition, right? The – coming upon a fairy princess dancing in the woods is not the problem. Right? Like that's not what the mortal does wrong. What the mortal does wrong is like the transgression is crossing the boundary, right? Yeah. If you try to enter the clearing to join the dance to whatever it is your intention to do when you cross in, that's the transgression that gets you into trouble most of the time. So there's a sense in which, again, and it, it, it competes, you know, Nick, as you were just implying with, again, like modern sensibilities and 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 with the optics here. Uh, it, again, it could look creepy for him to be like, no, nah, I'm just going to watch from the bushes. I'm good. Right. Um, but there's <laughs> a sense the in which one, the wonder and all thing should yeah. take care of some of that. Like he's right. not calculating his decision here. Yeah. He's yeah. just like transfixed. <laughs> right. And I think you can convey that where it's not like let me very cleverly hide myself behind this tree and like peek out versus just i heard something i saw something i moved towards it and then steps get slower jaw drops all of that sort of thing happens and he's just left standing there like an idiot right and by the way again as we were recalling before we already have a precedent for just such an idiot right um and in fact we can do a visual parallel with thingle standing there transfixed um as he's when he comes across melian before so um a deliberate visual parallel yeah. uh here at this moment would also yeah. help for people with retentive memories that was what season yeah. two so that was a while back but yes. um yeah also yeah. um what might be neat because we have in the um in the outline that he kind of stumbles into the clearing but what might be kind of interesting is if that is almost completely unintentional for him mm-hmm. like he's standing there behind the trees right and then all of a sudden 
it kind of looks like he's still standing in the same spot, but the trees aren't there anymore. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So either he moved or thought there were trees there that aren't weren't there. Like this <laughs> again, right? the like, uncertainty whether it's his perceptions or whether reality has changed. Yeah, rather the, yeah. like like the trees just got out of the way all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> the trees right. were like, here you go. <laughs> or has he been transfixed in place for so long that those trees died of old age and right. fell yeah. over, and <laughs> new trees have grown? <laughs> that probably did happen to Thingol. <laughs> yeah, it Thingle, probably yes. did happen to uh, Thingol. Not in this case. This right. Case. No, no. But again, it's, but but it, but it's that kind of situation, right? right. And that's no the kind of thing that can happen to mortals in this kind of a situation. I mean, it's yeah. there's precedent for that kind of thing. <laughs> our our timeline for this episode is about one year. Right. Okay, so we do have a full year, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's um, based on Aragorn's song, which I realize is not written as a like historical documentation of exactly what happened. <laughs> yes. There are some changing seasons within that. Yeah, he does talk about seasons. Yep. yep. Right. So the he idea uses the that... seasons as like a framing mechanism mm-hmm. for the exactly. Thing. So yeah. it's a very, <laughs> a very artistic device in a song right. that was written thousands of years later. Right. So from that point of view, it's maybe not. Um, meant to show what really was happening but but we can use it for the same reason yeah exactly yeah. just to that we do allow some time to pass here so we, we're yeah. giving them about a year to work with. okay no that's nice actually that's really good um so but but anyway i love that idea of like him looking up and 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 things have changed like has he moved or uh you know what has happened um has she moved? Has he moved? What's going? So now instead of high and standing in concealment, he's still standing there transfixed, but he's in the open, right? That's the, that's how it happens. And then how does the running start? Who starts running? Him? Her. Her. Yeah. She starts running. Okay. Dairon starts running too, but we don't see him. Yeah, this is well, because because to be honest, nobody cares. So, uh, <laughs> well, right as as the song says, it was music of a pipe unseen. Yes, the Diaron is not visible in the yeah. scene. We hear yeah. his music, but wherever he was, Baron never noticed him. Yeah, I kind of feel we, like even if he was standing right there, Baron would have maybe wouldn't notice him. No, exactly. Him. Nor should we. One of, Nor one should of the we. biggest fights that Marie and I have ever had on the show is whether or not Dairon should be present <laughs> in this scene. Right. Talk about your third wheels in important scenes. Right. You know. Yeah. I wanted the music. I wanted the so, pipe music. So we compromised. Okay. So we get the pipe music and we don't yep. see Diron, which is fine with me. I never, Perfect. I never actually wanted Diron on screen. I just Perfect. really wanted the music. <laughs> yep, yep, agreed. And by the way, that's delightful, of course, because um, even once it becomes clear that Baron himself is hearing music that we thought might have just been the soundtrack, right, of the show. Um, there's still no obvious musician, right? So there's still no source for even if even once it's even if it's confirmed that it's diegetic music, um, there in the scene, it still has no source, and so is there's still going to be an element of kind of of wonder about that. I think that's really cool. Um, okay, so awesome. I love that. 
Um, so she starts running. Tell me about the running. So he's, so he's transfixed. I know I'm, we don't have time to talk about the entire episode in this level of detail, but come on, this is the important scene. I want to make sure I'm getting, and, and, and I hope you can see the ways in which I'm pushing on this. I'm trying to understand how we're characterizing and framing their relationship from the beginning. Right. Um, okay. Okay. So, so we, he's transfixed. Then the scene changes around him. She's still dancing. Right. She, and he's coming to yes. coming to as if like an an indeterminate amount of time has passed that he's right. been transfixed, right? You know, and in, so in awe. like, yeah. So he's suddenly having the dream where you're standing in front of your class in your underwear, right? Like right. that's essentially the feeling, right? He's like, oh, oh, yeah. What? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm here, right out here. Aren't I? Here I am standing here. Yes, yes. Right. Um, and she immediately takes off, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and. <sighs> We can do it one of two ways. One where Baron himself is in slow motion and she runs off normally, or the other is we he's in regular he's operating at normal speed and she just is right. Like Okay. Forced, but wait, before we get to the chase scene. Out of there. Well, I wanna I want I wanna know more about like what the running. So she starts running. How does she start running? Like what's the what's the running like? Is and uh, so she's dancing. What is she? She she, she knows he's there the she whole time. Stops, she, she stops dancing. She well, she doesn't necessarily know that he's watching her. Okay. She knows that he's like over on the other side of those bushes there. Okay, right. Because right? he last was, last she saw he was asleep, passed out. Right, right. Okay, so she this is she's now seeing for the first time that he's awake. But now he's standing out in the middle. Like, did she do that? Did he? She saw that. Right. So she sees him emerge from the bushes. Right. Right. He, the reality is the, the, the way that I interpret the, what we're showing is that he uh-huh. actually did walk, walk forward. forward. Right. So he's like sleepwalking that sort he, of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. he kind of snaps out of it and realizes, oh, I'm right here. Um, right. Right. And um, so yeah. from her point of view, this is very he's walking very slowly, dazedly out of the bushes. Right. And we're seeing this whole scene, though, from his point of view. So from his point of view, she vanishes more or less instantaneously. Like she was there and then she's not there anymore. Okay. And the music goes away with her. Not necessarily. It could be instantly or it could like fade out in the distance, but the music cuts off and she's gone. And I think cutting off. I vote right? for cutting off. Yeah. And, she's, do... and he's just... What? <laughs> By the way, what... cutting off with like a lingering note, like this, like mm-hmm. the last note just goes, and it's it's not like the end of a musical phrase at all. It's like right in the middle, just boom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what instrument is Diron playing? He's a pipe. A pipe. He's got a, yeah, yeah, like bagpipe. What kind of pipe is he playing? Hey, flute, flutes. A flute. Fl- pan or, flutes. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, flute. Tin whistle? I mean, I don't know. Tin whistle? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just like pipes wheel is a kind of a vaguish word, you know. To, like the wheel and pipes is something you play sitting down. You have to pump it, and, and no, yeah, no bagpipes, yeah. no bagpipes. No bagpipes. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the wheel and pipes, but I'm not I'm for the same. But not here. Vote yeah. no on that. No. I'm kind of thinking flute, right? I mean, f- yeah. f- some flute. variation of a flute, whether it's yeah. a I mean, reed we flute can give, or a, we can, an actual. We can, I think we can we can give Philip a vote here, but uh, but I'm just because again, I'm trying to picture this. Like whatever it is, we've got to have Diron toting it later on, yes. right? So um, it needs to make sense uh, in that regard. Um, 
But, uh, okay, so she... All right, so she... Seeing him sort of staggering through the bushes, she obviously doesn't run as soon as she sees him because he's sleepwalking very slowly, right? And she sees him, but when he comes to himself, she's still there, right? He still sees her? Or is she gone? She might not necessarily... She might not necessarily see him come into the clear. Okay. Right? So, like, if she is so into it that she suddenly turns around and he's there and she just kind of stops for a second, you know, and we could even be kind of hinting that they're going to wind up transfixed for the next 300 years, like, thing like like Melian. But instead she bolts out, right? And the, you know, the setting gets just a shade darker, right? And the mu- the music woof, peters out because uh, party's over, right? Mm-hmm. The, that actually should happen when she sees him. When she sees like, him, but she doesn't see him, him right away. What's her? Right. Do we do we see her seeing him? So okay, because if we're just jumping, if we're sticking to his point of view, mm-hmm. he's going to come to himself, and she's gone. No, no, no. no. So she. Th- so here, here's the way that I'm seeing okay. this play okay. out. Okay. Um, he realizes that he's out in the open, looks up, and she has stopped dancing and is looking right at him. Ah, nice. Right? Yeah. Because, yeah. Ne- because she, he did come in yeah. on her unawares. Right? right. We're preserving at least a little piece of that. Right. But we should show her like um, there should be evidence that she's just stopped in the middle of dancing, right? Right. So right. Uh, you know, so she she's not just like standing there looking at him, right? She's no, no, no. she's like she's, she's, she's like, like she's like, uh, and that's right, yeah, okay, right. right. Like, so I it's was, clear that she was I dancing was until just then, anticipating having yeah. to actually deal with you just yet, right. right? Right. Like this is again the hand of a Luvatar is driving a lot of this forward. Yeah. And so she didn't make this thing happen. Right. Like her right. intention okay. was heal him up, observe him without him, without his knowledge so that she can get an idea of what's going on here. Right. And so she now sees him suddenly and it's, that's the moment when he comes to himself. So we can imply whether there is, in fact, there's an almost implied kind of causal relationship, right? When her yes. dancing stops, when she sees him and stops the dancing and the music stops, um, he snaps out of it. Right, right out of his yeah. out of his stupor, um, and so there she is, and she's not gonna the 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 look on her face, right? She's not gonna look scared. She's right. She's gonna be surprised. Bewildered. Yeah, maybe a little bit, a little bit of like, oh, like yeah, yeah, startled, so startled, startled, but startled, but not scared. Yeah. Right, and not, not dumbfounded either. She's, but also she not she she she's not going to be like smiling cheekily Coily. at him or something, yeah, right? No. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I mean, she's she's gonna she's gonna acknowledge him, but she's gonna be startled, a little bit startled, and in her startlement, she leaves. Yes. Right, it's the time to go. Time to go, because she doesn't know exactly what's going. She still doesn't know who he is. Doesn't really know what's going on, and right. this was not. She, this, this wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't part of the plan. So, um, uh, even in her, 
more benevolent brand of curiosity about him. More well, benevolent is the wrong word. Um, but um, anyway, her more friendly curiosity compared to Dairon's more alarmed curiosity. Suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. She, nevertheless, she's she's still not just going to walk up to him and be like, "Hi, well, you know, welcome to Doria." All right, so she's going to leave. So she she leaves, but she's running away, not as if in fear, right? But she's going to she's going to turn and run. Right. So the audience won't know why she runs away in that moment because we're seeing it from his point of view, and he doesn't know what's going on. Um, so it won't be until later when we see her and Dairon discussing what's going on, yeah. that we understand where she's coming from. Yeah. One thing that I like about all this is that basically what we get in the Silmarillion account and in the Lay of Lathian account is what we're showing from Baron's perspective. Yes. There's more to this story that we're showing yes. in the background, yes. right? Yes. That didn't find its way into the Lay or into the Silmarillion account. Um, yeah. but what the but the story in the Silmarillion is true from a certain right. point of view. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So she runs away. Now, what does he do? He chases. How? Why? Like what does he chase after? Or does so she just get away? Convenient time to cut the scene and go see what Thingle and Melian are up to. Ah, I see. So, Fade to black. So she like, like scarpers she's while he's standing he's there. He's left standing there. Like, yeah, like what, what just, just happened? happened? Yeah. yeah, okay. And right, then yeah. gone. Yeah. So Cut. okay. He nice. Is like that. going to go look for her, but not immediately. So Good. we'll go. We'll go check in with Thingle and Melian. When we come back to him, he's wandering around the woods of Doriath looking for her, and occasionally catching glimpses of her far away, and he'll like run over and she's gone, kind of thing. So right, I right. don't know how many times we're going to repeat that, but. There's so a little he, bit of that happening. Yeah. Good. Good. And here we're picking up that is also clearly picking up on echoes of Aragorn's song, right? right. With the his search for her yeah, at right. that point. Right. Now, now of course this is actually only set up for the actual scene which is Luthien and Dairon talking about Baron and observing him kind of like my my kind of thinking about this was a lot of I don't know why there's so much Star Trek in this episode was a lot of the uh, <laughs> the the pre first contact observation of that Starfleet would do over uh-huh. Uh-huh. cultures yeah, yeah, that yeah. were not warp capable yet like mm-hmm. they would be mm-hmm. hiding in a blind and yeah yeah, yeah I remember that this is actually that, from yeah. the same movie they do this okay. same thing um, okay. I remember that scene I don't remember the other scene but yeah, okay yeah. oh yeah. I definitely remember the other scene about the 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 pausing time and like there's like a butterfly yeah. or yeah all that stuff but yeah. anyway yeah the point is um this is luthien the anthropologist yes yes she's studying the first human that she's ever seen yeah <laughs> to understand yeah. him and his culture it's his first doriath <laughs> contact i got that right yeah no that's right. that makes all kinds of sense um so it's that academic curiosity versus yeah. plus the the personal. i mean get the the very real perception that something momentous has clearly happened yes. whether it's a yeah. momentous good thing or a momentous bad thing it's a momentous right. thing that is the happened. fact that he crossed over the girdle is a huge deal and that's the interest in why we should figure out who he is and what he's about yeah and also a reason to be a little bit hands-off about it mm-hmm. like because if you confront him 
then you've lost your opportunity to figure this out on your own. Like once you yeah, right. on him, now he knows you're onto him and all that stuff. And, like, you, know and I mean? you give like, him the opportunity to lie to you too. Right. Exactly. So if you observe on your own, you can form your own opinion without him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's where both Luthien and Dairon are in the beginning. Right. Right. Okay. Like no, slightly I, I, different viewpoint, but still, let's do the anthropological study to yep. understand this human who has crossed the girdle. And then, as time goes on, Luthien's like, or we could just spend more time with him. He's really <laughs> That's nice. right. Because he's, he's also kind of dreamy. Yeah. <laughs> no, not that. But just like, <laughs> he's hanging out with him, you know? Right. Right. And Tyron's going to eat, but, but she's like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> he's. Is there's you know okay so all right all right um let's okay no it's so it's I was gonna say should we segue with the cut to talking but no it's not let's stick with Baron and Luthien okay yeah. so so after that moment right now he's he's befuddled right. he's going to start her, searching for her actively mm-hmm. why where's Baron's head right now. When he's searching for why, to what end is he searching for? She's the only person he's seen in this forest. Okay, fair, <laughs> fair. I'm alone in this wilderness, and there's another person, right? And she who also happens to be the most beautiful woman, devastatingly ever attractive. Yes, exactly. Doesn't, so that doesn't, doesn't hurt the situation. It's it, it's it's not a disincentive uh, to introduce oneself, certainly. So yes, right. I I, I, I get that. Um, okay, so he. And of course, this is going to be challenging because we don't have anybody for him to talk to. So we can't really disclose what's in his head other than by his outward actions. Right. Right. Well, we see we see him catching a glimpse of her running off in that direction. Immediately, we see him looking around like he's clearly searching for something. Right. Okay. so we'll get the the sense of searching. But again, he doesn't. You don't think he should narrate his own actions? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a maybe a voiceover. Yeah, yeah we give to, him a, to a, a handy animal companion. Yeah, give yeah. him an animal companion. <laughs> give him an animal companion to explain everything to. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that would be that would be a very at least Disney fairy. If uh, <laughs> it would be Disney. All, all of a sudden we've gone from yes, we've gone from traditional fairy story to Disney fairy story. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, once. We do a time shift, right? Um, we move forward to so we, early spring. The next season, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're going to do the Tenuville, Tenuville scene. It's the... Um, it's the... Uh, act one turn, essentially. Right. <clears throat> um, and here we're going to get an actual... This will be an actual chase, but it's on purpose... She's in on the game, right? Um, okay, so so we're going to initiate an okay. explicitly consensual chase scene yes. between Correct. the two of them. Yes. Okay. Yes. All so right. the, the sequence is he calls to Nuviel to Nuviel. She pauses. Yeah. So they now are interacting. And basically she turns to him and is like, catch me if you can, and runs off. Right. Now, so this time she does start. She does give him a flirty smile before yes. she starts yes. running. This time, at gotcha. this point, okay. she's she's like, yes. "Come on, let's go here." Right. Right. Now, 
the a very important part of this is that he probably starts out a little frustrated because now now he's like okay she's doing this on purpose right <laughs> right <laughs> like the, you are the you're literally the my only connection to i guess not human contact right. to civilization right. and you now you, you think this is hilarious don't you but she is having so much fun with it that he she actually starts to win him over from that um, because that's really her whole like that's what she does. That's the the crux of their relationship, right? Uh, is her getting him to kind of lighten up, have a little fun, right? It's not all that dire. I know. It do seems we like have a- right? Right? Do we have? Um, okay. Okay. Do we have a context for uh, from her? Uh, We'll see him searching for her, right? Do we get any shots of her watching him? We did during in the like, previous, prior to in this the previous moment. scene, yes. Previously, yes. like while he's still unconscious, right? No, 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 no. no, no. no. When okay. he's searching so, for her. when he's searching, okay, right? Because he has no one to talk to, so the scene yeah. of him searching for her can't last very long. Like we yeah. established that it's indeed happening, but we then move on to her in her. Um, Hunter's blind with Diaron discussing the funny little mortal running around who can't find them. So she's actively hiding from him in that scene. Right. Whenever her, her discussion with Diaron, she is invisible to Baron. Okay, right, yes. Uh, so we ha- we establish what she's thinking about him there. Right. And then we do the Tenuvial Tenuvial scene where, again, he's been searching for her. He sees her again. This time he calls out to her. And she turns back to him. So now something has changed. Something is different. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, Right. That makes sense. Great. Okay. So we will have a sense then, like before she gives him the flirty smile, we will have a sense of her positive and perhaps increasingly positive attitude towards him. Right. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that although he is surprised um, when he calls out to her and she stops and turns to look at him, um, we won't be that surprised that she responds to him positively. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Because we'll have seen him, her having positive inclinations towards him. Yeah. And we've been with them for like 20 minutes at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. so we, you know, we, we've got, should have a, a, Fair handle on what her attitude towards him is. So he calls Tenuvio, um, and I think both of them should look surprised, right? Mm. That is, he should look surprised because he doesn't know why he called her that. Um, yes. And she <clears throat> should look surprised because, right? Well, n- okay. I don't think he's surprised he called her that. He did it on purpose because he's been searching for her and she he re- woke up to her singing a long time ago. So calling her a nightingale makes sense to him. Mm-hmm. That's all he knows of her. Okay. Um, should... his, his surprise is when she stops and looks at him and right. responds to that name. Like, oh, hey, it worked. So he, he calls out in earnest and in with sincerity. It's the 
she's a little surprised to hear it. But when she turns back to him, that's when he's like, oh, wow, it worked. I'm actually going to talk to her now. Oh, no, what do I say? <laughs> and then and then then he doesn't get to talk to her then. Um, so right. can we. In the previous scene, when he's looking for her, when he's hunting for her, essentially. Can he say something in English to the effect of. Where are you, Nightingale, so that we set this up a little bit? Or do we feel like that ruins this the I'm, the power of the um, moment? Here's here's why I was talking about him being surprised. I would kind of like to play up the idea that Okay, oh no, hang on. No, let me go back and actually say what I said I was gonna say. The reason I want to, the, the reason I was thinking of him being surprised is I'm going back to Aragorn's song again, and it he, his words are a spell, right? And doom falls on Tenuvio when he says her name, um, and that his calling not only his calling out to her, but his calling her that name is like the stroke of doom, um, and I think it would be cooler rather than like that just to be I mean it means Nightingale and I agree like if he had given her a name in his own head like and she's yeah that doesn't seem an inappropriate name to have given her like it's understandable that he might have called her in his own mind Denuvio and he'd never said it aloud Um, uh, but I think it would be cooler if he doesn't it's totally unplanned in that way. In so part you because... you want it more to be uh, speaking in tongues like Frodo yeah, in uh-huh. Shay Love's Life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I-, I was like, I think I know where you're going with this. And, that's yeah, exactly that, the that's kind fine. of sense of that's it fine. that I, th- I-, I think would be cool. It, just to kind of play on that, like, both the sort of the magic spell kind of element of it, but also that, like, that there's something here beyond what either one of them... Like, they're not falling in love just because they find each other attractive, right? There's more going on here than just that. Um, and so I think if there are ways that we can kind of plant... Um, the faith uh, idea. Yeah, yeah. If we sort of plant those things. Um, but now, Jason, I agree with you that the doom moment is when she stops. But again, I, I, the language in Aragorn's song is really suggestive here. That there, and I'm not saying that it's just literally a spell, like he is ensorceling her with magic when he says her name. But the power of that moment, um, you're right, doom falls on her when she stops, but it's his speaking. It's, I think that his words are metaphorically being compared to a spell in the poem at that point. But I would kind of like to preserve that sense of magic, um, and convey that sense of magic, um. Anyway, um, yeah, could, you know what we could do? Huh. Here we go. We could, we could, we. So in the very beginning, he's dreaming of the of the song that's in the outline. So he would in the dream, right? I I, I know you guys are gonna love this. This is okay. This All right, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. In the hang dream, on, wait. a nightingale what, what, is what dream? singing the song at the, at what? the very beginning in scene one. When he, okay, he's dreaming. When he Before wakes he wakes up, up, he wakes up from a he dream. He wakes up. Wakes up from a dream in which the music is playing. Uh huh. Right. 
And yeah. so the dream is that a nightingale, the music is coming from the mouth of a nightingale, uh-huh. right? The piping. And so, yeah. yeah. It's a piping nightingale. Yeah. Yes. Right. No, I, I, no. I disagree with this idea. I already figured out my own brain. But... I was going to say, Nick, I'm shocked that you're suggesting we can. I know. This sounds, like, this sounds, this sounds like a suggestion I would make really and that you would laugh at me for. The character needs to have a vision that explains their choice in this matter, Nick. So yeah. we, need, we yeah. need Baron to have a vision. Okay. <laughs> that's that's true. Can it... I don't, I don't know necessarily that I would recognize a nightingale on sight. To be fair, so, oh, yeah. uh, they're they're a light gray color. Yeah, but so are catbirds. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they don't look unlike catbirds, but they're. I mean, they're catbirds. I'm very familiar with. But nightingales are pretty little birds. They're they're fine. Yeah, there's nothing ugly about it. There's nothing nope. weird or bad. There's nothing about weird about nightingales. Nightingale. Um, yeah, which is why it's hard. For most people to to recognize them, unless they happen to be a birding enthusiast or Marie, so right. I'm right. not an expert on nightingales either. <laughs> that's that's not what I said. But I, right. I just I have looked up pictures of nightingales for Silmarillion related reasons. I, at some I, point. Exactly, exactly like you do. That says nothing wrong with it. Okay, all right. Anyway, so so. Whether or not he's surprised or not, but it it, it, sh- it should be okay, his cry, crying out to her should be momentous, right? He yes. cries out to Nuviel. She hears it and is not startled this time. Is she startled or is she not startled? I mean, her reaction her reaction to him is going to be different. But yeah. is she surprised? Does she know he's there before he calls out? Oh, she definitely knows he's there. But what mm-hmm. she didn't know that he was going to call her to Nuviel. Yeah. Okay. And so she might startle for a minute and then smile and then okay. decide to to actually like play a game of tag with him to right the, today is the day when yeah. we yeah uh because that's first interesting contact. what you just did there that's interesting and right. i need to find out more about what's happening here right and i'm not um, going to find that out by just observing you from my duck blind but at the same time she's not just going to stroll up and say hi um, no. Why did you call me that? Either, um, no, that's not how Luthien handles things. No, she handles things by playing tag. Tra la la lolly. Tra la la lolly. Right. So we're dancing. We're mm-hmm. piping music. Is there is 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 there piping? I don't think Diron's here in this scene. Diron's not here. This is, this I think Diron just... might have some words to say if, if right. he were involved in this. The so piping Dairon's would probably have ceased by this time. Uh, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, this is just the two of them, and she's tr- trying to draw Baron out of his shell a little bit. So like the tag game is like, come follow me, come with me, but also lighten up a bit, dude. <laughs> so right. like it's it's she's trying to draw him out in a way. And also, I mean, adults don't necessarily do this as much, or in, at least not in the same way. But like children learn about each other through play in this way, like. This is how, you, you know, you, you see two children and one initiates a play gesture of some kind and uh-huh. waits for the reciprocal gesture. And like, oh, OK, so we can we can do this. We're now interacting know? in this way. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Um, often chasing around the yard, for instance, like I'm yeah. going to run away and are you going to chase after me? Uh, right. Yeah. Is one like of those you run gestures up, that you run up happen. to the other kid and then run away a little bit and turn around yes. and look. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's a totally normal. Uh, uh, well, 
totally normal for four and five year olds yes. to interact that way. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I, Stephen, I, I agree with you that 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 like board games or like party games or stuff like that. That's something that adults do. But this is not one of those things. And so, right. you know, the but the trolley thing is a mark of the in some ways childish nature yeah. of the elves yeah. that's why the dwarves kind of find them a little irritating at least according to the hobbit it's you, you might think them foolish whether or not that's a very foolish which would be a very think. foolish thing yeah absolutely absolutely oh i just wanted to mention uh dennis uh you came in a little bit late we already talked about the first scene where uh the trans the parallel with elway you're the stuff that you've been commenting on you missed the bit that that was relevant for um we're on their next meeting now where we're so we're i just wanted to point out dennis we're a little past that um okay all right so she she turns away and sort of runs with an obvious invitation uh for him to chase her to to come after her um and he is chasing after her now and so we have now fun is happening by the way the other element of this here she's fun is happening right we've commenced fun um <laughs> that, but uh, uh it doesn't <laughs> happen instantaneously i don't think at least not for baron right right he's right. allowed to be slightly annoyed and or frustrated by this entire situation <laughs> be like right. seriously you're gonna make me run <laughs> again like hmm. so like at first he's he's really impressed that what he did worked like right i called out and she stopped and she and stopped like, yeah and, and looked at me right we just yes, had eye contact right, right there yeah a thing yeah. is happening and this then she's is like, come get me and he's like really <laughs> <laughs> right but right he obviously takes her up on it so yes yes um and yeah another element i think here is that she's been healing him Right. I mean, that's been one of the that's been happening since before he woke up. Right. She's been healing him. This also has to be part of that. Right. Like she. Um, I think Baron hasn't smiled. When was the last? Has the actor who played Baron ever smiled on set at any point yet in this show? Like, I'm not sure he has. Has he? Was he ever happy? Act, I mean, doesn't. Ha- well, I guess not since the actor, battle in any case. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to have, you know. Um, it, yeah, we've we've definitely given him some grim outlooks on life. Kind of grim. That's what I'm recalling. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, even within the outlaws, he was yeah. particularly. He was on the we grim are side. On a mission, and yep. we have to save the people, and we have to kill yep. all the orcs. So yep. he was pretty mission driven for the whole five years after the battle or whatever. So yeah, he's, he's not been the happiest, cheerfulest. Of and guys. now like his father and all of his friends have been killed and, and it's, and he's been under various forms of traumatic stress and now he wakes up and he's confused and stuff. But so anyway, so the very few reasons to smile, very few reasons to smile. So the, the point I'm getting to here is that I think when does he, smile? It, he needs to smile and, right. and, and, and there's, and I think that we can use that to sort of signal something really important here, right? There is something there is there is a kind of because there are two things going on with Baron at once. On the one hand, there is his destiny, right? Doom that has come upon him, and this is like what is meant to happen, and this is the uh, fulfillment of this like calling for his life that he didn't know about, right? 
But at the same time, he's also wounded and needs healing. And she sees that he's wounded and needs healing. And she's already healed him physically. But I would think she would also be motivated to try to... um, She's got to be aware of the fact that he needs a little tra-la-la-lolly in his life at this yeah. at this point, right? That that's going to be an important part of the healing process. Anyway, I'm just I'm just kind of thinking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we um when we discussed it during the script discussion, we also were like, at what point does Baron smile or laugh in all of this? And um, in Act Two, we have the first scene where they have a conversation together. So right. Not just chasing each other through the woods, um, but actually talking. And there, it's mostly a getting to know you conversation. Yeah, it's not all um, that deep. How does the how does the how does the chasing scene end? Uh, okay. Sorry, before it, we get into it, the... it can, I, can, can I ins- like we I think there's a I there's a thing that I will miss if we don't have. Okay. okay. We Laying might have her hand ears. in his. Right. Yeah. That, so it's not like it's a law that we have to do that. But I would, I would. In my head, I'm imagining the chase. That's how the chase scene ends. Like the chase okay. scene ends with him coming and like, you know, her like letting him catch it. Like when she, he is chasing after her, and then he comes into a clearing, and she's there. It's not running, right? And he comes to a stop, right? Because he thought she was still running. And then she approaches him and, you know, and and reaches out her hand and he holds out his hand and she puts her hand in his tableau. (laughs) It's kind of what I'm picturing. Uh, and And then after that, we can be friends and we can be hanging out and having conversations and picnics following that. No? kind of felt that it was a little early for and the level of intimacy that's required there now it is true that that's kind of a western thing where you'd be afraid to touch somebody's hand for fear of giving them the wrong signals mm-hmm. right but I don't know if that's escapable um Visually well, I, speaking, yeah, like, because if, if we do that, we're saying these two are now an item, which it might feel. Basically, like, you you don't you don't want them to go too far on the first date is what you're concerned about. Yeah, yeah, um, and there is an so the actual date there is an actual date there is an actual uh, date the, the yes. picnic right which we, is we, yes we, which is a couple of picnic. scenes from now so okay right as far right. as their plot line moving is up to the picnic right. I'm just, yeah, I hear you. And I'm not saying the laying her hand in his has to happen literally. Like, we can capture that concept without the actual physical gesture happening on screen. We, yeah, so we're going to have the, the tag followed by the getting to know you conversation. Okay. With then the picnic date and then there's a scene where she's going to try and teach him how to dance and he's terrible at dancing. Right. So there are plenty of opportunities for a laying of hands. At <laughs> right. that yeah. moment. Yes. Hands shall be laid in hands at various right. points. Like, no, I, I, right. It's hard to no, teach someone to dance without any. Hands sure. Involved. Sure. It's, and, yeah, but I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I know that, if you're wanting that, just 
the iconic moment. Yes, yeah, the, the iconic moment. Okay, yeah. here it is. Yeah. But if if we do that tableau of she chose him before they've even really spoken to each other, yep. then what did she choose? And that's that's part of what our challenge was throughout no, this I agree. episode, was to make sure she chooses something that she knows what she's choosing. I hear that. I mean, of course, you can't get away from the fact that in the book, um, her laying her hand in his is meant to be shorthand for she falls in love with him and yes. accept him. Like, yes. Right. Because so we, the story we're, we're, needs the shorthand at that point. Sure. Point. Sure. Yeah. So we, we we kind of just extended it. And like like I said, there will be hands laid in hands, but in a tableau, perfect moment scene. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, um, maybe, maybe not. So it, if you really want the like camera focuses on them holding hands kind of thing, when she leads him into into Menegroth. Yeah. We can yeah. definitely have her take his hands and lead him in. So yeah. um, we can... We can make a significant hand-holding moment there, I think, a little easier than while they're just okay. hanging out in the woods. Okay. I mean, I, I would uh, – yeah. Um, I, I I could see a fun kind of twist to the hand-laying moment, right, um, where we're taking it out of its original context – but investing it with a similar significance, but in a in a new context, could work interestingly. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I, I know why you want it. I I, I yeah. don't disagree I, I just, with why you want I just, it. It's all. it's one it's of those things. Like I know I would be like, if I were watching this, it's one of the things I'd be looking for. Like, sure. th- yeah. Yeah, is she, when when she gonna lay her hand in his? Uh, yeah, yeah, but okay. No, I can. I'm 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 totally sympathetic to the reasons you're resistant for that because again, it does it literally does serve as shorthand for now they are a couple. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we want to uh, establish yeah. them as a couple on screen and in to indicate that... her own willful choice of yes. them being a couple. She yes. has more willful choice it seems I think than he does actually, but um but anyway, like the big well, deal is that she chooses. Yeah, I think we've established multiple times that he'd be an idiot not to fall in love with her. So yeah. n- no one needs any explanation as to why <laughs> he falls in love with her. No, like, no, no, no explanation required. Yeah. I agree. Right. So we are giving him opportunities to, but like, yeah, there's not, there's no she real question. She her mark position of power and privilege to coerce him into him. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, as to the when does he first smile in their getting to know you conversation, um, there is some like, where have you come from and what are you doing here on her part, like questioning him a little bit. But it gets to the point where he says who he is by giving like names and titles and stuff. And so they kind of get into this back and forth where she also gives names and titles and they get sillier and sillier as it goes on. So by the end of that exchange, he's smiling at her because okay. she, she was joking so with him. She Barrel makes writer. Yeah. yeah. It's, Barrel, it's, the, yeah. it's, it's yeah. Bilbo's list of titles, but it's between Baron and Luthien. So, right. So we got to come up with some clever titles for Luthien that sound silly while also being 100% true. Right. 
but right. I, and that's that's up to the script writer, which for this episode is not me. It's, it's so, not you. That's right. So I'm just like it's really clever and really funny, and then he smiles and it's, it's great. Make it so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Make it so. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, um. All right. So. Um. The. What do they talk about? In their, in their, on their getting to know you conversation? What do we have them do? There's, uh, let me just say, of course, like, there's a reason this is usually done in clumsy montages, right? Uh, <laughs> or like so often done in clumsy montages. Yes. Like, what yes. do we have them talk about? Like, what do we have like Baron and Luthien's awkward first date conversation be about? So, well, this is... So she's got to be asking him things like, where did you come from? Right. How did you get here? Um, Tell me about the massacre of your entire family. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, yeah. that would be awkward. So we have to kind of. <laughs> it would be a little awkward. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, because. Everything it, about well, his history is going to be a little awkward in that right. way. But when it becomes clear that there are things that, are, that cause him pain to even think about, she's going to start leaning away from that. So, um, uh, one thing that's going to come up is the language situation mm. where obviously he speaks Elvish. She's right. never met a mortal before. So, hey, how do you speak my language? Right. Can come up. I know it doesn't have to, but it could. The, well, the, the thing about that is that, like, the, the humans have been able to talk to the elves of Doriath already. Like, it's. It's not, not like, to her. She's never yeah, met. Yeah, but she knows about it. She. It's not like she's living under a rock. No, right? but I mean, she wants to know which group of humans he's part of. He's. She's heard there's different groups. Okay, that's fair. You know, like so. What I'm saying is, instead of talking about his immediate recent history of what's happened right. in the last six right. years, he could easily talk about the House of Beor and right. how they used to live in Nargothrond with Finrod, and now they've been in the north and they've been defending the land of Oh, Finrod. He's the the. He's the the son of my uh, of my aunt who was casually murdered. Like, yeah, they they do have awkward histories to talk about, but yep, yeah. But there are things you can do with it that are like less painful. And, and uh, she could just say he's he's oh Finrod, my cousin, and you know, like that's gonna because Finrod is to the Beorians yeah. the king. Yeah, he yeah right? yeah yeah. Like he has a near deific status in their minds so and baron is not one that grew up with him so he's right. a generation removed from the right. like immediate proximity him. yeah he's, he's met, him. met him he's met him but, yeah yeah just recently in fact when <laughs> when uh yeah, the, the here ring situation yeah. saved his biscuits yeah exactly yeah yeah, uh, yeah so so he can mention fenrod at some point in the history of his people without necessarily doing the recent history. And then she could be like, Oh yes, kin of mine. And you know, you know so it's okay. So they, they can kind of figure out who each other Mutual is. Mutual family friends. Okay. That's one good yeah, safe con- exactly. topic of conversation. I like, right. I was laughing before at Jason's suggestion. Do you like dogs? <laughs> yeah, is, I like dogs. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice safe topic of conversation for a first yeah. date. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. They can yeah, talk about yeah. little furry woodland creatures. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's something that she's, she's seen how he is on his own. 
Right. So she knows that about him, actually, at this right. point. Right. Um, one of the interesting... Th- yeah, sorry. I was going to say, one of the interesting side effects of the fact that he is a vegetarian is the fact that he would not have had to make himself a weapon. He he may have, he will have lost his weapons, right, when he comes into, mm. Dor- into Doriath? Does he have his weapons? Well... No. Well, so the, there's a problem in, and we're, we're still working on this, in that the bowl of Bregor, we're still oh, trying to get it into the hands right. of... It needs to get to Numenor. That. Yeah. Forgot and, about that. Yeah. I, for, yeah. It's, I feel it like to survive need is a strong stage. word, but I'm willing to play the game that's involved in making okay. that happen because okay. that's fun. Okay. It's supposed to get to Numenor. <laughs> so it should survive the first stage. So... Baron had to bring it out of Dorthonian. Fine. Okay. So, so he's got he a bow, it, but he doesn't, but he doesn't use it. But he doesn't have arrows. He right. doesn't have he's arrows. Like, right, yeah. Right. He's out okay. of arrows, and maybe even the string broke. I mean, you could have he has it. He's a so compass he's... that doesn't point north. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, so, my, my point is when she's observing him, one of the things right. that she might expect to see is, like, is he going to arm himself? Right. Right. So and, he had no weapons, no hunting. Right. This had is... he been subsisting on meat in the woods, he would have had to make, you know, weapons or snares or something to capture and kill animals with Mm -hmm. and skin animals and stuff like that. Right. But having, not having to deal any of that, living a vegetarian gatherer's existence, right. In the woods, um, it would have been an interesting sort of signal to her in her anthropological mode, right. That he is, peaceable completely peaceable right he's not like using or making any 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 weapon yeah. uh, uh that he's using against anyone so it's not just like oh he's kind to the animals but um yeah. but it would it would it would show something sort of interesting Which does, about him does come up in the so they there's another scene between Dairon and Luthien where they're discussing him again and we see him helping some sort of very ugly animal, like the uglier the better, right? To, <laughs> because well, because right. anybody would yeah. stop and help a cute animal, right? Like it takes a <laughs> right. very special sort of person to stop right. and help an ugly animal out of a jam. Um, and no, Dennis, elves are not vegan, not no. at all. Nope, nope, um, nope, nope. There are occasional examples of elves who might choose to be vegetarian, but it is the significant minority. Yeah. yeah, like there's gre- all kinds gre- of the, hunting. The Much green hunting. elves are they? They still hunt, Andor- as far as I can tell. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they were yeah. they were pretty they're, anti the humans hunting in their territory. So yeah, I wasn't but that's sure. different. That's their that's they yeah. were anti the humans messing up their territory is right. primarily yeah. what they were. Doing, yeah. The way we've we've established for a long time that the way the elves hunt, the way the humans hunt, is very very different. True. True. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, so I was gonna say we so we've we've had that conflict, but for the most part, we haven't shown any reason yeah. for if, elves. To if the vegetarian. West Coast doesn't like the fact that elves eat meat, Dennis, then well, Dave is there, so I can't say. That. <laughs> um. <laughs> we can't swear off the West Coast entirely. Uh, it's it's fine. It's fine. No, it's fine. no, but not talking about me. I'm. I say the more meat, the better. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean obviously Baron needs to be vegetarian for right. yeah, yeah. Are, that's, um, that's established. Are yeah. they gonna? Uh, at some point, conversation will have to turn to like, how, so how did you get here? Right, like mm-hmm. nice. 
Dead is, work. This is my animal of choice. This is your animal of choice? Oh, yeah. Ugly pig? Is, oh, yeah. The Babarusa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, it, it, its tusks will grow into its own brain if it's not, um, if they're not stopped. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what's he going to be? She's going to catch him filing down its tusks to save its brain, <laughs> right? No, I would, like do, I would say doing dentistry on a wild other... boar is what he's. Is, yeah, <laughs> I would say it's probably something do. like just getting it out of like you know a thicket it can't escape from. But right. you know, it's just that's just fun. Okay, okay. Um, and and actually, the interesting thing about the pig there, especially, is that she might assume he's going to eat it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he doesn't. So that would be noticeable. And eating it would be perfectly justified under the circumstances. <laughs> perfectly. Perfectly. Um, perfectly. There are many animals that are ugly, but also tasty. So, yes. yes. That, that, yeah. Um, that's, that's sure. And sure. some that are adorable and also tasty. And also, it's so true. So true. Um, uh, but, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, no, birds, I think birds are cute. Birds are cute. Birds are too cute. Anybody would help a bird. Anybody would help a bird. Okay. Right. I would help but a bird. Besides, I, I actually like help. the... I would 100% eat that pig if I found it caught in the thicket. Right. No problem. Right. If, I, 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 if I were out in the woods somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Especially in survival mode in the woods on your own. So anyway, no, okay, that's great. Um, I, establishing his friendship with animals. This is one of the things that I was actually excited about when I was realizing how much time we were going to be spending here is that this gives us a great opportunity to establish not only Baron's friendship with animals, which we've kind of established with the dog, right? Or through the dog, the dog has helped. Um, but it's different to show him being a little bit more like uniform. Are, are we going to show any of the animals being friends with him? Like not just him being kindly to the animals. I mean, I not full really Snow White, obviously. Followed like, around by yeah, Disney we don't want to be friends. Disney princess about it, but but yeah, where do you draw the line? Um, yeah, this is the yeah. Baron and Lucian story. Everything's turned up to eleven. Why wouldn't you have him followed around by an entire train of woodland animals? <laughs> he doesn't necessarily have to have like chipmunks hopping after him and everything, but um, uh, right. So where do you draw the line? Is what it comes back to. <laughs> I'd say no line. No line. Well, you do wacky want... zany. Well, right. here's, here's like, an there example. can be a bird that visits him occasionally or something like that. Wouldn't be too crazy. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, Dennis says he's not St. Francis. Actually, I think he's exactly St. Francis. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm not <laughs> sure St. Francis isn't a model uh, in Tolkien's mind for Baron's friendship with the animals. When Luthien emphasizes, um, uh, to to Huan, Baron's friendship with the animals, it's not just like, oh, and he's awfully kindly towards animals and doesn't eat them or anything, right? First of all, is that even going to be a commendation? Huan's a predator, for crying out loud. Like, Huan's not going to care if he eats animals. Huan eats animals himself, <laughs> right? So, uh, so it's not like, oh, he's a vegetarian. I only approve of vegetarians. He's a hunting dog, for crying out loud, right? That's not what wins him over. But, um, but at the same time, um, uh, it, it's... There's, I mean, I always got the impression from what Luthien says about how it, about his friendship with the animals that yeah. he had it's a friendship. 
a reciprocal friendship with the animals. That mm-hmm. again, not Disney princess. It doesn't have to be cloying, and okay. no, so Nick, they don't be, have to have or Jason. He doesn't have to have mice that the, sew up his jerkin or anything right, like right. that. But like I'm fine with a bird that can fly in, and he's friendly with it, and the bird flies away. Like it doesn't have to be sitting on his shoulder the whole time. No, or anything. I, I, here's here's one really here's one really simple thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what if, like, one time when she meets him, like, when she comes and meets him, there's, like, something like a deer or something, like a stag standing there next to him, right? And he's just kind of, like, hanging, like, has his, like, is standing there with his hand on the on the neck of the stag and then, like, it, like, you know, turns and walks away. Like, no big deal. Just, like, hanging out with my friend, the normally skittish animal who's obviously not afraid of me kind of deal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that would do well with blending the experience of fairy because the animals not being afraid of him is like i've entered into the fairy realm and then to have the elf who lives there go oh interesting the relationship here it's like oh this doesn't happen all the time here i just thought this was normal here. <laughs> right <laughs> <You know>? right <laughs> right and actually so, it, it does kind of play with our perceptions as well yeah. right like so is I, this I do like is, that is that is a, a barren story? Is, is it, or, or, or is it a deer thing right is, is like yeah. a doria thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, who knows yeah. so yeah okay yeah we could we could probably do that um yeah. All right. So we could have a bird. We could have a deer. We can have the little piggy saves. So, like, that's not too big of a menagerie, right? It's only three. Nah. three. I, I'm okay with three, as long yeah. as they're all one offs. Like, and nothing. The, yeah, exactly. The pig doesn't around. have to follow him around. <laughs> I can just see him. I can just sad, see the pig waddling after pig him. <laughs> right. Outside of Metagroth. Exactly. Or, you know, he comes in like he and Luthien walk into, you know, the courtroom and his little waddling pig comes behind him. Like, no, no, it's, yeah, no, we don't, we don't yeah. need the pig for continuous comic relief thereafter. But, um, yeah, okay. No, I'm fine. I'm, f- I'm fine with this. Let's, uh, I, I kind don't... of want to see that version of the story now. <laughs> there's a place for it, right? I mean, there's, there's, um, in the anime of... version. So Luthien has the to comfort Baron's yeah. little woodland friends who get left behind when he goes off on the quest. And that's what she's doing before the whole treehouse typical happens. Yeah. Is that she is hanging out with his woodland friends being like, it's okay, I miss him too. This reminds me of a conversation I had over dinner in Kansas City where we were talking about the Board of the Rings parody book yeah. um, written back in the 60s or 70s or whenever it was yes. written. Six, um, yeah, yeah, Harvard and, Lampin. Yes, my dislike of that book, not because it's making fun of Tolkien, but because it's failing to make fun of Tolkien effectively. Um, yeah. Like it's all of, it's a horrible, horrible missed opportunity. Like that book should be 10 times funnier than it is. Um, and anyway, so like I, I'm just like the parody version of the Baron and Luthien story, man, like uh, there are all kinds of all kinds of opportunities yeah. here. I will give them credit for the little X-shaped forest, though. Yeah, yeah. No, there's not that. There's nothing there's, funny. There's, there's in a the few book. things in there that are there. Good. There, there, there are a few things that are good, but more that are disappointing and lost yeah. opportunities. I think. Yes. Anyway. journeys in the soup. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just yeah, yeah. Um, the really simplistic uh, uh, puns that are meaningless otherwise, and whatever. Mm. Anyway, okay. Um, so I. Uh, we're but we're it's starting to get late, so let's talk about the let's talk about Thingo and Million. I want well, no, let's talk about Dairon and then let's talk about Thingo and Million. Yeah, some so expedition. Maybe, maybe we just <laughs> skip to the the scene where where Dairon kind of like breaks in on Baron and Luthien. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 
he essentially he walks in on them and then he kind of puts Baron on pause. Um which I thought like of course he he would. If he has the ability to do that, of course he would. Like you don't have a voice in this conversation. Okay. Right. So he's You are an indirect. He like spellbinds him. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Um and Luthien is first thing furious that he did that like this guy's a person like you can't just do that because it's inconvenient for you right you know um but he he's like this needs to stop you know what Mm -hmm. what are you doing what what is all this like (laughs) like this is not what we talked about you know <laughs> right 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 so he comes after her and he's like you have completely broken the prime directive here right it's, yeah it's super yeah. broken the prime directive <laughs> the prime directive like is so far in the rearview mirror at this point yeah like captain yeah. kirk is looking at you like Ooh, that's <laughs> right you're creeping out even captain kirk uh yes. with the breaking of the prime directive yeah yeah you know and baron is the you know the the green-haired alien lady right yep 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 Okay. Um, yes. Uh, okay. I was willing to go along with this when it was just you were. You said you were curious. You wanted to find out about. Him. Okay, fine. But now this has gotten way out of hand, and you've got to get him out of here. What's his? What's his? Where is his head right now? He's alarmed. He is he worried for her? Is he? Is he? What is he? Exactly. He, what's he dealing with here? I mean, he's is he jealous? Yes. Well, of course he is. Yeah. Because he accepted that he and Luthien were never going to be a thing. Right. But that doesn't mean he's totally cool with Luthien being a thing with, with this random else. mortal dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, not even right. somebody else. This is not yeah. an elf. Like, what is this even? So yeah. I, I think, yeah, he was fine with it until this happened. And now he's not fine right. with it. So he is jealous. He's right. not admitting that, but that's what part of what's going on with him. Okay. The other part is he is legitimately concerned as to what Baron's doing in Doria. And right. He still has the alarmist curiosity. Yeah. And they've God. let this go on too long. Like, he's still here. We have to solve this problem now. How, how long has it been? Has it been the full year? Pretty it, close? Close to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's... She's putting him in a position where he has to keep secrets from Thingle, and everybody knows that Thingle hates that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yes, Dyron would. I'm pretty sure, yeah. if I recall, he drew on Celeborn for this exact thing. Yeah. yeah. And how much more angry is he going to be with Dyron for not telling him? Hey, by right. the way, Luthien's been slumming it with this human dude that's hanging out in your kingdom. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's just Dyron is being put in that position of we we can't let this keep going. Clearly. I need to do something about this because the longer I don't, I'm now complicit yeah. in everything. Okay, so, yeah, yeah I, I, okay. I think that Luthien's position as princess is different than Dyron's position as subject. For sure. For she feels more autonomy to defy her parents than he does. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that makes all kinds of sense. Or rather, sorry, she feels more latitude for independent action uh, than he feels latitude for independent action. And there's, you're right. I mean, there's no question about the fact when he's like, okay, there has been an intruder who made it through the girdle, right? Someone made it through the girdle. 
and he's been wandering the forest for a year and Thingle has not been alerted to this fact, right? Like, that's not okay. And it's true. Like, there's no scenario in which that's okay. I mean, like, it, clearly he needs to know uh, this. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I totally, I, I love putting Dairon in a completely sympathetic position here, right? Um but it's definitely the jealousy that has driven him over the edge. And that's there. Right. Absolutely. Right. Like Absolutely. that's, that is definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Cause he went along with this up to this point. And if he was really like, we need to tell the king what's going on in his kingdom. That would have been an issue at the beginning. Right. Right. So that's um, still an issue, but that's not what drove him to be like, and this ends now. <laughs> right. Right. Right, exactly. So, so he says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna report this to Thingol," and she responds by saying, "Don't, I'll just bring him in." Yeah, right? you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, you can't fire me. I quit. Right, exactly. Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was Brian who wanted to make it very explicitly Luthien's choice to bring Baron into the court, not Diron went and told somebody or like and a whole troops thing come happened. out to arrest him in Hall. And right, yeah. like it's like no, this is going to be Luthien's decision. That should it even be? Should it even be like like when Diron goes and tries to force the issue or sort of threaten her? Um, she basically reveals she was already planning on doing it because do we even want it? We don't want Diron to force her hand, even do we? Um. Well, I mean, it it's does the complication raise... with him that leads yeah. to this. I mean, David but does raise a really yeah. interesting she says question. That it's just it's going to come off a little like why would we? Why would the viewer necessarily believe? Like it sounds bitter, you know. It sounds like not sour grapes. It's like the reverse of sour grapes. But <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Well, I just well, I think if the if the aim is to make it her her free choice. Um, even having Dairon go and say, well, I'm going to go tell Thingol and her say like, okay, fine, I'll bring him in. Like she's now, it depends she's been blackmailed. On how she, it, it depends on how she executes that, I think. You know, but like it, if she's like, okay, fine, you know, you got right. me. Then that's it, different from, no. It does raise an interesting question though. Like what was her plan? Was she never going right. to tell her dad? Like what, what was to, her, what was her long game? Like, yeah. we're just going to keep playing tag in the woods for until he dies of old age. Like, like <laughs> what's the plan here? But, but I mean, I, and I'm not saying she has to have a plan. I'm saying it's interesting that she doesn't have a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so if what happens at this moment, it's not that her hand is being forced necessarily, but she is being pushed to a realization like, okay, this can't go on. In fact, just like this forever. Like they've, she has in a sense, almost like indulged her own self in like, we've yeah. been living in this like little fantasy world, right. For this last year. Yeah. But at some point, you know, this has to come into contact with reality, <laughs> namely mom and dad and the right. rest of the, and the rest of the kingdom and all that sort of thing. I mean, this is, um, so if, if there is a sense, I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting turn. If at the end of the day, she like the fairy princess like, herself. No, you're right. Has been tra- has been like trapped yeah. or like you know has wandered into fairy and lost track of time and um and you know she herself has been living in this. It's not just him, yeah. right? Who has woken up yeah. and found himself in this in this fairy world. Um, so if if she says no, you're right, 
And he's like, what? <laughs> right. Because well, yeah, Dyron's whole point is this can't go on. Right. right. So I don't think he needs to threaten, like, I'm going to go tell your dad. But right. the this can't go on, like, he's I the voice of responsibility. Anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's all he's saying. He's not threatening her. He's telling her this is a problem. And if she's like, you're right, time to bring it into this. Like, he, he may even it make it clear, or it could be clear from his demeanor, that should she resist, you know, he's going to he's gonna have to tell Thingol anyway. Like, he can't not tell yeah. Thingol. Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but he doesn't have to even threaten that. You're right. I mean, he can he can just be, his his move could be like, this has gone too far. You have to tell, your, we have to tell your dad about this. And she's, mm-hmm. and she might surprise him, as you say, by agreeing and saying, yes, yes, you're right. Um, now, if you would not mind unfreezing my boyfriend so I can do this, right. I don't think she needs him to do that. I'm just kidding. But. <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. All right. So then we see them going into, uh, okay, but now let's talk. Um, now let's talk about Thingol and Million. Now let's talk about Thingol and Million. Um, wait a second. Um, any any more of the Diron story? What's Diron? Diron's gonna. He's not gonna have a, a role, a speaking role in the courtrooms courtroom scene, right? No, well, not the courtroom. I think scene, he basically is just a bystander scenes, after this. The court, the yeah. court scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His his final contribution to the storyline is confronting Luthien and saying this right. can't go on. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. So Thingo and Melian. Um, we're setting up Thingo and Melian. And I love that, by the way. I love the way in which, because um, somebody was, I forget who it was, somebody was saying uh, ages ago that one of the things that's um, going to be hard to convey, and honestly, I think it's a challenge for some people in the books too. Why doesn't Thingo listen to Melian? Like, why, 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 if you yeah. marry a goddess, why do you ignore her advice? Like, there are lots of people who have that issue with Thingol even just reading the books, right? And so that's obviously a challenge that we need to address to to explain, to 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 make that understandable, to make that believable. So for in that, in the interest of that, setting up, like, we know Thingol and Melian are going to be in an awkward place by the end of this episode, um, and so we're we, we're setting up the awkwardness. So tell me more about the setup for the awkwardness. Oh, hang on. Jason oh. has, a, has an important question. Um, when she brings him in to meet uh, to meet the in-laws, um, Jason asks, are they a for real couple before she brings him in? Like, have they gotten to first base? What's going? That's not his question. That's my question. Like, yes. do are He's yeah? Asking, have they kissed yet? That's the question. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm kind of like, yeah. D- 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 is this? Um, we have established like mutual romantic situation here explicitly by this point. Well, the whole she there is a scene where she tries to teach him how to dance. Ah, uh, the dancing scene. Right. So that presumably Intimacy. would yeah, have yeah. some level of yeah. this is a romantic thing on both uh-huh. sides. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we need we're, so we would oh, we, we, some definite we're, chemistry. We're not just there. like chatting and hanging out. Yeah. I, I right. just remembered something that I didn't notice that we showed. We actually showed uh, Dairon putting Baron on pause from Baron's perspective yes. in the previous scene. So right. like Baron is there with Luthien, and all of a sudden the lights go out. Luthien's gone. He's just alone in the dark when he was presumably outside during the day a second ago. And so he's right. just, like, he's completely like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 
Now I like that. Um, Jason is asking, like, have they actually like plighted their troth? Have they prom? Have they like? Mm. And mm-hmm. I say no. I think no. Yeah. No. I, I think don't no. Think it's gone that far. I think it's gone. Nope. And, and 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 the reason I think this is important. This is an important no question. Is this or no answer? Is it sets up the post Tulsirian stuff, right? Yes. Um, when he's trying to when he tries to leave her behind, um, that it works much better if they've not committed to each other yet. Right. Um, that's the moment. Like when they get back together then and she's like, look, wherever you go, I am going with you. That's the moment where it's like, OK, now they are definitely for sure committed to each other. Like both of them openly committed to each other. There's obvious mutual interest. Right. But I think that, like Baron is not going to I mean, he's not going to pop the question to her here. Right. I mean, like, no, he still has to be a little too intimidated to do that. <clears throat> Howsoever many picnic lunches they've had um, over the last year, um, but but yeah, I, I think that the question of like is is this is this for real? Is this okay? Is this what's supposed to happen? Um, yeah, that's where they are. Yes, I think I think that that needs to still be in doubt until it's when they head off to to uh, Thangarodrum together that like we've crossed that bridge. I think. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, yeah. and it also, I mean, I'm yeah. okay with, again, the whole, she places her hand in his, in this episode. Like I'm fine with that happening in this episode, but yeah, towards the end, like bringing him into her father's court, I think she's making a choice there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, I promise to live with you forever choice, but there's still a choice. Mm-hmm. Again, how long is forever with this mortal? Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm gonna have a very brief relationship with you for the rest of your life. Um, but yeah. um, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, but I, okay, right now, right, but but yeah. So there's their love for each other should be clear. Um, mm-hmm. But and either one of their senses of like what is the future going to be like or where is this relationship going, that shouldn't be obvious to either one of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Which makes it easier, um, or at least not in, so. Un- mm. It's so. Is it Thingle who goes there first with the bride price thing? Or do we cut the bride price element of that? Um, I mean, single in the book treats it about as other if, than marriage. Yeah, yeah, like when he says yeah. you can't be with my daughter until you give me a Silmaril. Like, yeah, he obviously and he sets so out think, to do it. Yeah, I think yeah. the way Luthien introduces Baron to the court makes it clear what her intentions yeah. are. Like, like that might be the first Baron's hearing of it. <laughs> like, and and this like let's go yeah. meet my parents. Okay, so here's my um, boyfriend my dad, that I'd the like king. to marry. Yeah, right. here's here's the guy I want to marry, and and the said guy is like, <laughs> uh, really? And I mean, he's, I mean, I could see him. Um, yeah, her intention there would have to be clear for him to be like, you know, if if Thingol says you got to get a Silmaril if you want my daughter and Baron's like, "Yeah, well I will cuz I totally do." Right? <laughs> if she's not made her uh if she's not made her will clear, then that's a little yeah. awkwardly right. one-sided. Right. So, if she introduces him in a way that makes it clear what she wants here, then Baron can follow up with all the confidence in the world because he knows he's got Luthien's approval. 
Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I think his lack of confidence to this point is because there's been a lot of leading on going on, like quite literally. Right. Chasing right. That's, yes. Yes. So he could have been like, yeah, like I really like her and everything, but I don't know if she's serious about anything. Like, I just don't know if she's a serious person. <laughs> That's true. There's that question with Luthien and, and, and which I like, I like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. um, uh, it- there seems to be a lot of folks who are worried that we're cutting the bride price. Yeah. Like that. I mean, the, 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 the Cimarill is still like the demand for the Cimarill is still there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, um, if, you're not getting rid of that. Yeah. The, the deal is Thingle doesn't really set it up as a bride price. He sets it up as a do this impossible quest so that yes. you can't marry my daughter. Um, not not so that you can, so that you can't. The whole point is, please go away. <laughs> right. If um, you wouldn't mind terribly dying, would, yeah, would be great. please <laughs> leave and die and never come back. It's yeah, basically yes. what Thingle is saying there. And any and, of like, the, if you can, you can either die or never come back. Either of those two is fine. It's totally up right. to you. Right. right. But, it's but go away it's, now. Yeah. I, I mean. It is still technically, like legally speaking, a bride price that yes. he has so named. It's, it's Baron who interprets it as a, oh, well, right. if Elven kings sell their daughters so cheaply, sure, yeah. I'll go get oh, you. Oh, so you're else. okay with me marrying her then. That's great news. I, okay, right. father-in-law. <laughs> Positive spin. So, so glad to have your approval. All, All I got to do is get you a rock is... and I can have your daughter. Good. All I Good. have to do is steal something from the crown of the devil. Sure. Right. Right. Got it. So you're saying right, there's I'll a chance. Right okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a number. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the point of the bride price comes in when Baron interprets the quest as a, so if I fulfill the quest, I can marry her. Right. Whereas things like the quest says, here's the way I say you can't marry her. Like they're they're coming but, out from different sides, but that's but that but that but that's like the piece of cleverness on Thingol's part, right? Yeah, I mean, of course, Thingol Thingol does is going there, right? I mean, he sets it up as a bride price thing, yeah, essentially, yeah. right? Like you here's know, here's the stipulation. This is this is the requirement. Here's, for here's the, stip- the intention is clearly, as you say, like either a go away and die, or b just go away. Um, uh, it, it, it clearly is 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 his end goal but he so, frames that within the structure of naming a bride price right so um, I, I think Luthien has to have started that whole conversation yeah with. yeah so we're getting married and Jason Jason asks if Thingle just leaps to the assumption that they're planning on getting married the the way that that happens in the book it's not through a, some sort of leap in logic she brings him in by the hand that is right. to signal I intend to marry this dude Here's this yeah. guy. And this is mine. The backstory yeah. that we're cutting <laughs> is, is that Dairon is supposed to have gone and told Thingle and about told this. Thingle. Yeah. And Thing and Luthien says, Hey, I'll bring him in, but you gotta promise not to hurt him. And Thingle's mm-hmm. like, sure. And then he shows up, and that's when Thingle figures out what the deal is. And he's like, oh, I really wish I hadn't promised not to hurt this guy, because I really want to hurt this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm feeling and, an overwhelming desire to hurt this guy. Right. <laughs> right. And then, and then Seems it's totally the whole, natural. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm not a father of a daughter, obviously, but I, I'm familiar with that um, yes. logic. Yes. 
Logic. A, yes, that's a very kind word to use in the circumstance. From the other side, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But anyway, um, that all being said, like that's the, what we're what we're removing is the part where Thingle found out about Baron, but didn't yeah. realize that he was right. in, in Luthien were a couple and agreed to a certain thing before they came in. So we're just kind of removing all that. And and the reason we've removed that to make that explicit fundamentally is because we're wanting to do more with Dairon's character. Yeah. Uh, right. We I mean, don't want him to have betrayed Luthien. To just be a fake. Yeah. 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 And we didn't want Luthien to get forced into revealing Baron to her father. Like, this is something that should be part of her decision to have a real relationship is like, oh yeah, I guess I have to acknowledge you to my parents. <laughs> like, right. Right. So, so like we will kind of, yeah. So we, we just kind of simplified that storyline down, but Thingle still is going to issue the quest. So he has to yep. know that they want to be a couple and he has to be yeah. mad about it. No. And that's great. I, I <laughs> the idea that she is, that she makes that explicit first, mm-hmm. I yeah. think is, is I love that actually. Um, we don't have to have Baron be like, <laughs> do a double take when she does, uh, you know, uh, but that she initiates it is, I mean, it's, it's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Um, all right. But let's get back to the setup for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thingle and Melian. Tell me more about the conversations that they're having earlier in the, when we cut to them, we get, we get how many, one or two exchanges between them beforehand uh, in the episode? At least let me, let me go. and Melian. Uh, is that what we're asking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thingle and Melian. Let's see. There's one in act one, one in act two, but it's Thingle and Mablung. Yes. And then playing act, their game. Yeah. Again. And then in Act Three, it's Thingle and Melian again. Yeah, so we have two between Thingle and Melian, and one between Thingle and Mablon. Oh, the chess match. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, right. So the, okay. the overall theme of all of those conversations is that Thingle is being more insular than ever in the wake of the Dagger Bragalak. Mm-hmm. Like the Noldor's idea clearly didn't work out so great for them, and therefore our idea is far superior. So like this right. girdle idea, it's working well, bringing everybody inside, good idea, and a bit of pride of, I can keep my people safe, unlike those Noldor who keep seeming to dying and wars all over the place. And even uh, uh, along those same lines, right? Like, so who turned out to be right and who turned out to be wrong when their policies, right? Like, mm-hmm. my isolationist policy has been soundly vindicated by events, right? Um, uh, you know, here you guys with your alliances and your fortresses and we can keep him in leaguer and everything. And you just, with your help, we can do this. And um, no, I turned out to be right and they turned out to be wrong. Right. So right. I'm doubling down on what is working mm-hmm. and we're not no longer any truck with that Noldor nonsense about open warfare. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so that we see that he's he's definitely not inclined to form any new alliances and that the war has impacted his view of Middle Earth. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen much of Thingol in the last right. season or so. Uh, remind me about. I know Gilgalad was just there for mm-hmm. uh, his 
his ambassador first role. ambassadorial uh, gambit, visit. right? Yeah. His, state, his first state visit. Yeah, yeah. His it, first. It did his, not go well. His first big boy job. What did? Um, what did? Uh, what was he asking again? I don't remember. So Fingolfin had said, "Hey, we need to cultivate a relationship with Doriath. You're just the guy." Um, right. And then Minas Tirith fell, and he's like, "Guess I have something to ask Doriath for." Like, "Hey, we have an issue. <laughs> My Minas Tirith right. just fell." <laughs> right. And yeah. so he's asking for Thingle to work with Finrod in, I assume, retaking the tower or something. And Thingle says no. And Thingle would invite them to stay, to come, live in Doriath. No, 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 no. He was asking if no, Thingle but would send. Right, oh. But would Thingle respond by saying, "No, I have a counteroffer. Come live here." If you Only want to the cinder. Only to the cinder. Nolder not welcome. He's not inviting any extra people gotcha. in the door. He's, he's inviting uh, all his... the people who used to be mine originally. Right. Okay. Come, come back. Come back to daddy. Come back to Daddy's daddy gotcha. and and stop your flirtations with these, uh, you know, with the Noldor who have mm-hmm. done no favors to anybody since they've been here, and I'm yeah. still resentful. Uh, yes. And, yeah. Yeah, Got so it. there, there's nothing lightening up in his rules about who can enter Doriath or yeah. any of that. If anything, okay. he's just doubling down across the board. Right. So we see right. that he's just not in the most open-minded of moods uh-huh. to start with before this whole thing with Baron. Good, good. Now, what's um, what's what's Melian's? Melian's well aware place. that Baron has crossed the girdle. <laughs> Right. Yeah. right. So she knows. Like she had to have up. known the minute it happened. It's right. kind of like when Mandos is like, not the first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Okay. So Melian is aware of this. Um, she's not told Thingol either. Right. Well, they. Right. The, yeah. She's. She, if she said anything, it's cryptically not clear. But she's aware. Yeah. So it's the type of thing if you go back and listen to what she says. Knowing that Baron's there, it'd be like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So, so she does say something about the girdle. I forget if we gave her a particular. She says line. that there there are forces at work beyond their control. Essentially, the yeah. girdle is what it is. Mm-hmm. The power of the king is great, uh, but the power of Melian is set where it is set. Yeah. Oh, because he's talking about he, he wants to expand. Doria. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. So, so yeah, so they're not really seeing eye to eye on things in general right now, yeah. which explains maybe why he's not listening to her when it comes down to it at the end. But also, Luthien does blindside him, so he doesn't take time out to seek counsel with Melian to deal with the situation. He kind of does that all on his own. Right. Okay. Um, so we're setting Thingol up by showing that he his he's not only are his like uh definitely isolationist and modestly antisocial tendencies being reinforced by events but also being tinged with what a little bit of smugness right uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of self-congratulation um mm-hmm. thus uh okay um and Melian is 
what? So I, again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to Millie's make sure that going to discourage the pride thing. Yeah. So that's where she's like, look, this is what it is, and it's going to stay what it is, and we're not changing that. Like we're not expanding, we're not growing, we're right. not being bigger and better. So she's trying to temper some of the pride elements of what he's saying, um, but not gainsaying his policy ideas yeah. so much. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So why is it? Well, this isn't really one of the times, is it? Where he is ignoring her because she, she just is snarky after the fact. Right. Right. I mean, he does his thing and then she's like, Oh King. Right. You know, she, she does the, um, Clever counsel. Yeah. She, she, she gives him the bad news. Right. She kind of deflates him in private. Right mm-hmm. after that incident, um, so this isn't really an example where she has told him something and he has just disregarded it. So that's right. not precisely what we're setting up here, right? Okay, because um, obviously their relationship is a very slow, yeah, fade, yeah, um, and they're still at a point where they get along pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the loss of Luthien is going to change that pretty majorly. The tension will increase at that point. But we're so yeah. what we're seeing really primarily between Thingle and Melian here is um what's just like cracks basically in their relationship mm-hmm. um and in their different perspectives. Mm-hmm. What he does here is he fails to reach out to her before right. coming up with his solution to the Baron problem. Right. Right. So it's not that he ignores the advice she gives him. He, he just doesn't ask her and right. does it all on his own. And right. that's a mistake when your queen is Melian. Right. Right. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I think that that's, um, uh, that makes sense. And then we see that come to crisis in the O-King conversation after words yes yes okay okay um all right and baron walking out the door is the end of the episode right yes although it takes a little while to walk out the door he talks to a few people on the way out like he doesn't just boom gone like he and luthien have to have a brief conversation Mm -hmm. about what's what's going on here and Melian also takes the opportunity to be like, so let's chat. Right. right. Melian is also curious about this mortal who has crossed the girdle. And right. her interest is different than Luthien's. Like, she knows what this means. Right. So she just wants to see the guy and be like, all right. <laughs> right. So that's... Right. She is certainly not going to have the reaction like the alarmed curiosity that Dairon would have had no. because she knows. She knows what this yeah. must mean that like yeah. that this was fate is taking a hand, which is also going to re- totally recontextualize her understanding of the Luthien situation. Right. Um, that is Luthien is, um, to Thingle, this guy, this is just a mortal who has like, you know, dared to, um, aspire to marrying Luthien to Melian from the beginning. He is the 
fated one, right? I mean, he is the 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 the. I mean, she sees doom and fate from the start, and so it's going to be her that the sense that the, 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 the sense in which that's her context for Baron is going to make her have a very different attitude um, towards yes. him. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Baron's meeting the in-laws thing just goes very differently. Yeah. Meeting Thingle, it's a, here's this quest, go die, please. Yeah. And with meeting Melian, she knows that he's not walking out the door to never return. Yeah. Like she knows. So yeah. she wants to see him and be like, all right, who are you? And welcome to the family, I guess. <laughs> right. Like, you know, she knows that this is a done deal on, yeah. on some level. So she's not treating it as like a trial period or like anything like that. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. No, that's great. I, um, uh, I love that. I think that that all, that all seems to work really well. Okay, cool. Well, I should let people go. It's getting awful late. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, next time we are, so we're going to be meeting on the 17th. So that'll be the Thursday before American Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, we'll be discussing art commissions, right? So we're going to be doing some, uh, we've, we talked with Phil about music stuff and we're going to talk now about uh, some art things to think about some of the, uh, some of the stuff that we would like to be able to see uh, uh, and maybe some, some concept art for or something uh, as we're moving forward. So awesome. That'll be fun. Uh, and then we'll come back to episode five after that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Okay. And the, your, the next script discussion, you guys are already up to episode nine already. Very good. Yes. Very good. We're going to be doing that next, not, next Friday. Uh, tomorrow, but the following Friday. Good. Friday the 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And that's on the Twitch channel. People can join at twitch.tv slash signumu uh, if they would like to take part in the script discussions with you guys. All right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, Thanks very much, uh, everybody, for joining us today. Um, This has been it's so much so good to be back uh, doing film film again. I've been good to be missing this very much. It is good to be (laughs) home. It is good to be home. Um, uh, You know, doing planning film adaptation of the Silmarillion, like you do. I mean, it's there's something refreshing about it actually yeah. um but uh awesome going back Thank to you the, guys. Uh, the original conception it's nice to be the, to be unburdened with uh the limits of reality oh man i, I i've been appreciating that i have i've such a new appreciation yeah. uh, for our yeah. lack of limitations yeah 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 no for sure okay awesome thanks everybody for joining us we'll be back in two weeks for more discussion uh some folks i'll be seeing day after tomorrow in southern california at socal moot that'll be great fun uh and in any case we'll be back in two weeks so thanks everybody see you guys later i will say as always thanks for listening and godspeed